Man, what do you think about uh, spring in January? It's kind of nice. Um, you know, if I told you at uh, the outset of this series of messages that if you take this 40-day challenge to heart, to life, that it would improve your love life, um, you might think I'm smoking something or selling something. Um, if I told you it'd make you happier, if I told you that it will reduce the arguing and the bickering in the home between husband and wife, brothers and sisters, if we take what we, if we take this book, this ancient old leather bound book, and we took it to heart, what we're reading in it, that literally it, it would set a new path for our lives and change and prevent a lot of the, uh, a lot of the baggage and a lot of the damage that, that we've created on our own, this could correct it and even prevent it into the future. Uh, if I told you that, that, that giving and serving would become second nature to you, that literally you'd have a side of you that would develop inside of you from the inside out of compassion and tenderness that may not be there like you and others would want it to be there or want it to be there. You might think that, Lily, I'm trying to sell you some get-rich scheme on late-night television. But in reality, I want to I propose to you that this book is meant to lead and guide us. It's meant to direct us to a fuller path that will produce in us love, joy, peace, patience, gentleness, and the list goes on. So I'm not smoking something. I'm not making this up. I'm not trying to sell you something. I haven't been told to tell you this. But that really, it's true, and that, that it is a guidebook. It's a map for our life and the journey that we're on. And in Psalm chapter 119, verse 105, David said it like this. He said, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. We're journeying, we're going, we're moving, we're, we're growing older, we're hopefully growing wiser, but regardless of whatever, we are growing older, and the path that we take every single day are we taking the right path or the wrong path? There's lots of options and choices out there. But the Word of God can be a lamp to that. And the challenge was laid out 14 days ago that you would take this book, you would read this book, you would, you would take a chapter a day. Just a cha- You wouldn't have to read the whole thing, but a chapter a day, you'd open it up, you'd find that place. And we've been in different places all over the map. Uh, we've been in Psalms the first week. That's where I've shared my first message in the series. I thought, hey, let's just stay there. If you didn't have any direction and know where you were going, then stay in the Psalms and just stay right there for, for a week. And then last week, I challenged you to go to the Gospel of John and look at a totally different genre of literature and, and uh, of this book of 66 books. And we, we looked there at the most intimate account of Jesus with his most beloved disciple in John. And hopefully you learned a, a deeper deeper relationship with Jesus through that experience. This next week, if you don't have any direction, I'm going to send you to another genre of literature, to, to the book of James. Read from the book of James this week. Now, there's only five chapters, uh, and I'm saying read a chapter a day. I'm not giving you two free days, okay? This is not a free pass. I want you then to go back, after you've read five chapters, I want you to go back and read Chapter 1 and chapter 2 again. You'll find something that will happen as you read this mystical spiritual book. And that is, is that it never stops talking. 
And you might read something one day and read the same chapter again the next day and the next day and the next day, and it just continues to speak. But whatever you do, you read a chapter a day, you then record down that one truth, that phrase, that verse, that statement. Maybe it's a word that just jumps off the page at you. You record it down. You write it down. And then number three, don't miss number three. It's probably the most important in the whole process is you adjust your life to it. Whatever that means, big or small. And I can tell you this on Thursday, I had some heavy weight on me. And I shared this with our North Point class this weekend. I had some heavy weight on me. And I was like, oh, I'm going to do this. And I don't have time for, for my chapter in the Word. And so I got to be a good example. So I jumped into it, opened it up. Very first words off the page in the chapter that I was reading, right in line with where I was the day before, gave me the answer that I needed to what I was being challenged with. So I'm telling you, there are times that you will read this book and it will scream to you the answers of life. And you will hear God as if he's yelling at you. And then there are times it's this gentle whisper. And you have to lean in. And you have to read it again. And you have to look a little closer. And so I, I just I challenge you, if you haven't been on the journey with us, then jump in now. We've got journals for you. If you want to take a 40-day challenge, see me after the service, and I'll get you one of those journals. But the point being is that you get in the Word and let it begin to transform you, empower you, change you, morph you, help you to become the person that God wants you to become. And I really kind of th- think about it, when I think about it, I think about it in terms of links in a chain. So I want you to complete this statement with me, uh, with me. And that, that is this, a familiar, uh, idiom that we have in our culture. The chain is only as strong as it's, we know that. Okay, we know that. We, you can have a big strong chain, but if there's even one link in that chain that fails, then the whole chain fails. So I want to talk about a couple, two or three links here that maybe will help us understand the valuable of the value of these links and how they link together. And that is that you got to own a Bible. All right. To start with that. Now, I'll have to say this. We have given out more Bibles in the past 14 days than we've given out that I can recall in any concentrated period of time of 14 years or 13 years that we've been in existence. I've had more people come, hey, Mike, I don't have a Bible, or hey, Mike, I need a new Bible, or or, hey, Mike, do you have any Bibles? And we have them, man, we'll, we'll give them to you. People leave their Bibles here all the time. We'll give you their Bibles, okay? They're not reading them. And so... Uh, we want you to have a Bible. You gotta have a Bible, number one. To, if you're gonna, if you're gonna read it, get it out and free, free download on, on your phone or something like that. But read the Bible and don't take that for granted. I was in Indonesia, I don't know, four or five years ago and was, was meeting with uh, the, the, uh, a lady. Her name was Jessica. And, and as I met with her, she was come up in, in a Muslim home. And she owned a Bible. She actually grew up in a, in a Muslim home and she went to a school as a Muslim, but she ran and met in, met two Christian believers who began to share with her from the Injil or what is the New Testament or the Gospels as we would call it in Injil was what they call it in the Quran. 
And they said, because the, the Quran tells you to read from the Injil, from read from the, the Gospels. And so they sat down with, with Jessica, as I'm calling her, and they, they read from the Injil. And pretty soon, Jessica became a believer in Jesus Christ as God. And it would begin to revolutionize her life. And so she got her own Bible. And one time she went home. And she's relating all this to me and about three other people as we're sitting at a seaside restaurant right on the, on, on the Java Sea. And she's, she's telling us about how she took this Bible home. And when she got home, her, her mother found the Bible. And immediately, her father and two older brothers took her out into the yard, took her Bible, tore it into thousands of pieces, and then took a rod and beat her. for having a Bible, for becoming a Christian. And then they said after the beating, you are no longer a Christian, you are now a Muslim, and you will not be a Christian any longer. She was devastated, obviously. When I met with her, she was, uh, she was still a professing Christian. She was not allowed to go back to that university, not allowed to go back to that school. And, and I, I was like, you know, Jessica, you need a Bible. I'll get you by. I'll give you my Bible. You need a Bible. You need to be reading the Bible. You will not go very far in this Christian faith if you don't have a Bible and read a Bible. And so I was going to give her mine, even though she couldn't read English. I was going to give her my Bible, and maybe she could get the gift of tongues or something like that. And all of a sudden, she'd be able to read it. I don't, I don't know. I just wanted her to have a Bible. And she said, I can't because if I take it home, the same thing will happen and maybe even worse. So we talked. In fact, we were in the restaurant there for about an hour and a half. And, and then she noticed somebody that she knew across the room that had come into the restaurant. And she said, we need to leave. It was like I was the only white guy and uh, several Indonesians. And a white guy stands out kind of big over there when you're as tall as I am too. And so we went outside. We went out one of the back doors and we went to a back alley. And we jumped inside the car that we were, that we were in. And and we sat there in the back alley and we just continued our conversation for another hour or so. And I said, you need a Bible. And she says, well, I have one. It's actually on my smartphone. And she said, every night when I get in bed, I pull the covers over my head. My parents think I'm asleep. I open up my Bible on my phone. My parents don't know where it's at on my phone. So I open it up on my phone and I begin to read it. And I read it and I read it and I read it until I fall asleep. And I thought, oh, Jessica, I said, please. Don't stop reading the word. Now, see, the tragedy is of that story is, is one thing to go ooh and awe over her, her persecution for being a, a Christian. But I think probably the greatest tragedy is our own neglect of a book that we own many copies of. That's the greater tragedy. When we have it, but we don't read it, we have it, but we don't heed it. Or we read it and we don't heed it. It, it. it doesn't really change us. It doesn't really morph us. We take it for granted that it's always going to be there. The third link in the chain is the one that we cannot, cannot, cannot do without. And that is allowing the Word of God to so change us that it adjusts our life. We adjust it to the voice that He speaks to us as we're studying and as we're reading just that one chapter each day. We adjust. There must be an adjustment. Here's the problem, though. We don't typically adjust. We'll read. We might go through the 40 days. We might write down a few thoughts. We might throw up a few Hail Mary prayers to God. But in the reality, we don't adjust. If we don't adjust, that may be the weakest link in our chain. So take your Bibles and look at the Gospel of Luke. We're going to look at Luke chapter 8. 
We're going to look at probably one of the most popular parables that Jesus spoke. He calls it the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, verse 18. Maybe an alternative title would be the parable of the soil because it seems to be that the soil is the primary subject matter. This particular parable and about five others of the 35 that he spoke. Now, get this. This, along with about five others, are are only recorded, are the only ones recorded in all three of the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so this parable is a very popular parable to come to because you can read it in Mark, you can read it in Matthew, you can read it in Luke, and there's minor variations, but really the heart and soul of it is all the same. And when you come to it, and I want to read the parable now, if you'll look at Matthew 8, verse 4 and following, it says, And when the great crowd was gathered, the people from town after town came to him. And he said in a parable, what did he say? He said, A sower went out to sow his seed. And as he sowed, some fell among the path and it trampled underfoot. Now, I want you to notice the different, note in your mind as you go along here, the different types of soil. A sower went out to sow his seed and as as he sowed it, as he sowed, some fell along the path that was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock and as it grew up, It was withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. So you're finding so far three different responses in the soil. But then we come to verse 8, and it says, And some fell on the good soil, and it grew, and it yielded. Listen, 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 listen. A hundredfold. We're going to come back and talk about that at the very end. And as he said these things, he called out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, I want to point this out because Mark literally starts this parable with the words of Jesus saying, listen, he ends it here by saying, hey, if you have an ear, lean in, listen in. You don't want to miss this. So I want us to understand what a parable is. A parable is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Jesus was not giving a gardening lesson here. It was not Future Farmers of America 101, okay? He was talking to believers about themselves and about a particular element called a seed. Now, I want to give you, just so we go into this, what these are in the parallel. Because the disciples didn't even understand after he told the story. He actually had to come around and, and, and explain it to them. And we'll look at his explanation in a moment. But I want us to see the elements that are made up of this. One is the seed is the word of God. So now on, from now on, every time you read in this passage, you hear the word seed, I want you to think of this book that I hold here. And the book that you've, many of you all have been reading. Think of this book, okay? That's the seed. The seed is important to the whole process. Now, I'm not making this up. This is not my interpretation. Jesus himself said this, verse 11. He said, now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. All right? So he makes it very clear. Then also, the sower and the farmer is the messenger. All right? Now, the messenger may be me speaking the word of God. It may be you listening to a podcast. It may be you listening to the Bible. It may be simply you reading the Bible. It could be a close friend sharing a verse with you. It could be you looking at a verse. It could be any number of things. And all of a sudden, a seed, the word, has been sown. Okay? Where has it landed? That's the third one. It's landed in the soil, which is your spiritual heart. All right? That's the third 
element of this parable. It's your spiritual heart. Now, again, I had to look back up and understand a little bit of uh, the agrarian culture in which we're dealing with in the first century. They did a little bit differently. Now, I lived and worked in, in eastern Arkansas for a while, and they had these great big old John Deere tractors, and they'd plow through the fields, and they would churn up the dirt, and they had everything just perfectly lasered-like, uh, literally off of a GPS coordinates, and they prepared their furrows of their rows and they had their big tractors computerized to drop a a particular number of seeds every so many feet or inches along as they would plant their crops and then they would cover them back over and then they would water them and irrigate. Very high tech, very, very substantial way they did it back or today versus back then. R.C. Sproul said that the way they would, would, work in the fields in the Middle Eastern time of the first century is they actually wouldn't till up the ground first. They would go out and they would just with their hands just throw out the seed just about like that. And wherever the seed landed, it landed, and then they had their little area that they were going to farm in. And then at that point, then they would hoe it in, put it into the ground. They would they would use the oxen and, 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 and see, I'm a farmer, and things uh, to get it in the ground. And they would get it in the ground and then wherever it came up. But no, there would be some that would land in different places and there would be different things around there. And so that's what we want to focus on. But as you think about seed being the word of God, as you think about the sower being the messenger, as you think about the soil being our spiritual hearts, what do you need to focus on here? Focus on the last one. How's your heart? How's your heart? Is it ready to receive the seed? I don't make light of this because this is an absolutely fundamental thing to the entire faith walk Jesus encounter. I can't emphasize this enough. If we don't get the heart truly properly assessed, we will miss it overall. And let me, let me show it to you. First Peter chapter one, verse 23. Familiar passage probably or familiar uh, person in Peter. He says this, since you have been born again. That's a phrase that Jesus used in John chapter 3. If you read John this week, you would recall that. Jesus used that if you're going to see the kingdom of God, if you're going to go to heaven when you die, if you're going to see me forever, then you're going to have to be born again. Now he says right there, since you have been born again. So he's talking to believers, not a perishable seed, not the seed that we put in the ground that dies, but of imperishable through the living and abiding what? Word of God. This right here, this seed is not perishable. It is imperishable. It is not temporal. It is eternal. It is not something that just literally inspires you. It changes you. It rocks you. It moves you. There will be some of you, listen to this, when you get into this word and you allow the word to get into you, it's going to wreck your life as you know it, that you've become comfortable with, that you really don't want to change. It's going to wreck it, but it's also going to rebuild it. It's going to rebuild it in the way that God intended it to be, if you let it, if your heart's ready to receive it. For some of you, it's going to comfort you at times, and other times it's going to convict you. At one time, it's going to scream at you, and the other time, it's going to whisper at you. You will love it, and you will hate it, Because it will not let you, listen, it will not let you stay the same. It will call you to change. It will call you to a new life. What happens? 
to you personally? What happens to you when this seed, listen, falls on your heart? That's the question of the day. What happens when you hear a message, when you read a chapter, when you see somebody post a a verse on Facebook, what happens to you when that seed hits your life? Well, there's four different hearts that Jesus identifies, four different soils that he identifies. Which of these is your soil of your heart? Jot them down and do your own self-assessment. Let's look at verse 9 because what he does in verse 9 through 11, he gives us the explanation here uh, that we don't want to miss. Or actually 9 through 14, it says, And when... The disciples asked him uh, this par- what this parable meant. See, they didn't understand it either. He said to you, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. So he's giving them some deep down important kingdom of God stuff. Let's go down to verse 11. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. We read that earlier. The one who, now he's going to start breaking down. One soil, two soil, three soils. You with your own eyes, especially if you're in Bible study methods, you start observing here. Start noticing this, breaking them down. Verse one, verse 12. The one along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and he takes away the word from their heart so that they may not believe and be saved. Verse 13. And the ones on the rock. And those who had, who, uh, who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. Now there's some hope in that. We'll come back to that in a moment. And these will uh, not have root, but believe for a while and in time. Circle the word time if you have your Bibles, because the word time is a very key ingredient to understanding that soil. The testing of fall away, verse 14. And as for what I, what fell among the thorns, the third, are those who hear, but they go on on their way. They are choked by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Verse 15, for that is the good soil, and they are those who hear the word. Hold it fast in an honest and good heart, and they bear the fruit of patience. Four hearts, four soils. Which one is yours? The first one is the hardened heart. The hardened heart. Be ever aware of the hardened heart. Christ points out that some people's hearts are so hard that the seed, the word of God will fall on it and it will not penetrate it. The heart is greater. Listen to this. The heart is greater in strength than the word at this point. The word can't even penetrate it. The seed can't even penetrate it. Now, again, we don't, if you ever grew up or lived in an agrarian culture, you don't really, you might not even see it like this mentally in your head, but if you go over to West Africa, you'll find it a lot like it would have been in the first century. You'll find that there'll be a field on one side of you, and about three feet later, there'll be another field, and right in the middle is a hard walking path that kids walk down, goats walk down, cows walk down, kids go to school on, bikes are on, people carry water on this road. This is the main highway from one village to the next. It's about four feet wide. You can't even take cars from one village to the next. You have to hike it. You have to walk it. 
That's the kind of culture that it would be in. And if you're a farmer and you're just out throwing seed like this, you're going to obviously get some seed on the hard ground, the hard, rocky, hard soil that is impenetrable. Now, those with hard hearts, listen very carefully. There's very few of you in this room right now. Those with hard hearts, probably very few of you in this room, but if you're in this room, you can't wait to get out of this room. You were drugged to church today. You didn't want to come, but somebody made a deal with you. Hey, we'll go out and eat if you'll go to church with me. Hey, if you want to date me, you're going to have to go to church with me. Uh, you know, something like that. They're not going to be the ones downloading podcasts, listening to sermons, uh, or, or getting in the 40-day plan. They're going to avoid that. They, they, in fact, they're looking at me right now. You're looking at me right now. You're kind of skeptical of me. You think I want to get you somehow, some way, and that I'm out to get you. I'm out to rob something of you or something like that. You know, be, be scared for a moment. Um, these people can't wait to get out of here. Um, and it's a sad thing. And there's nothing I can do. I can't be funny enough. I can't present well enough. Right now they're texting. Right now they're on Facebook. They're not even interested. What do you do? You know, you just keep throwing seeds. The sad thing is, is before they leave this building, I don't know if you realize this, but God came to church today, you came to church, but the devil did too. Before you leave, before they leave, the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts. And they're going to get home the same person they were, angry, bitter, why'd you make me go, all that kind of stuff. What do you do? There's not a lot you can do. You just got to pray for them and pray that God will soften their heart, that something will happen but they're not interested in this book, nor the things of this book, nor the things of God. Expedia did a, did a survey asking its clients, what is the most useless thing in the hotel room? The least useful item in the hotel room. They had a whole list of things. They asked them, if it, is it the shower cap that you get given to you free? Is it, is it the mint on the pillow? Is it the, uh, the, the pant presser thing over in the corner that no one ever uses and you just throw your stuff on? Is it, is it the, the laundry bag hanging up inside the closet? Is it the, the rack that you fold out and you put your bag on when you check into the hotel? tell what's the most useless item and these british businessmen listing out all these items they said it was the gideon bible inside the drawer by the bed i didn't say it they said it i'm not picking on british businessmen let me talk about you if you were to make an itemized list of all the things in your life and in your home and if you were to be really honest and if the most useless and underused item in your home is a bible you might have a hard heart. Number two, it's a shallow heart. We're probably talking to more people now. We're talking to more people because there's some of them, if you remember me reading a few moments ago in verse 13, it says that they hear the word and they receive it with joy. They actually can't wait 
for Sunday to come. They, they come in here and they get encouraged. They uplifted and they feel a little bit inspired in life and, and they, they receive it and they're challenged. They, 70, 755 people take journals and they go home and, and some of those were really serious about it and they took it home and they got really serious and for five or six days or 24 hours or 72 hours or whatever. And, and the key to this is the word time. The proof is in time. Look back at that verse. It says, they receive it with joy, but these have no root. They believe for a while and in time. In time of testing, in seasons, it dies. The commitment dies. It happens all the time. Probably one of the most common things, probably the most common hindrances in the church today are the shallow hearts. It happens in student ministry all the time. This coming month, in February, excuse me, we're going to have the largest youth event that we sponsor, that your ties and offerings sponsor. We sponsored 75 students last year to come for free to this event. Everybody gets involved, and so you should be getting involved. I mean, homes opened up, uh, people provide meals, there are people who provide transportation. It's an all-in event. Students, Got to be a part of it. Parents, you want to support it. It's all the information's online. You can sign up, be a part in any way. That's all on that commercial. But let me talk about what's going to happen. I know it's going to happen because it happens every year. Sometimes it happens to the same people. Every year what will happen is there will be a great communicator here on the stage and a great band and they'll have great Bible studies and great homes and, and, and they'll come here and for a concentration of a couple of days, they will get just hosed with the Word of God, hosed with the seeds. They're going to be thrown at them, hurled at them. You can't miss getting a seed uh, at you. And then all of a sudden, the last night will happen and there will be this big concluding rally event and there will be kids from that corner of the stage to that corner of the stage. They'll be weeping and crying. And I'll tell you what, those kids, there'll be some of those kids that will forever, ever, 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 ever be changed from that weekend. But I'll say this, not because I'm being a pessimist, because I've just seen it so many times. There'll be a good number of those kids that with joy in their heart, they really, 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 really want to change. And they'll really, 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 really make a really serious commitment, but give it 24 hours, Give it 48 hours, give it 72 hours, give it two weeks, give it five weeks. They'll be right back like they were. What do you do? They go to camp, same thing happens. We offer seven, we offer journals to everyone. You make a, you make a 40 day commitment and you fall out within 14 days. I'm not really being mean to anybody. I'm not. I'm just trying to wake us up to the reality that our hearts, man, we receive it with joy and we we want to do this, but our hearts are so shallow. It's rocky and there's other things that are in there that are precluding us from seeing that ever life-changing commitment that we make again and again. I'm going to join a communitas group. I'm going to start a communitas group. It goes for a while and it dies. The problem is this shallowness of the heart. And I want you to hear this. Until the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of changing, most people will never change. 
until we are so disgusted with this and it's so painful that I'm willing to cross over the painful bridge of change and adjustment and loss of the life that I've once lived and the life that I know that I'm living. And I come over here and until I cut ties with that, then I will continually be in and back, in and back. The seed hitting my heart week after week and the going home in the same person within just a few hours. The third heart is the preoccupied heart. This may be the, the greatest heart problem we have at Grace Point Church. And I, and I say that because you've you told me that. You've made it clear and, and, and you're working through this and I hope you're taking it seriously. But if you remember in, the, in this heart situation in verse 14, some fell among the thorns. There were other things in the ground and they didn't hear and they, uh, who hear and, and they go on their way. But then the things get choked out. There's not enough moisture for all of us. There's not enough time in the day for all the commitments that we have. There's not enough. There's not enough. And you said that. Uh, that's something that we said. We ask a few, I guess, back in November, we ask you, how many of you read the Bible five days or more a week? And somewhere around 31 of you said yes. 31% of you said, yes, that's what I do. I do that. But the lion's share don't. Read it more than five times. Now, that's better than the national average, okay? 19% is what the national average is, but we're still flunking. I don't know anybody who'll pass on a 32, 31% from any school. So the point being, is we get all of that data, but what's the problem? Well, you told us what the problem was a few weeks ago. What keeps you? What keeps you from the word? 75% of you said, other interest. Too many other things buying for my time. Too many other things I got on my plate. Too many sports activities. Kids have got too much thing, too many things to do. We've got activities after school. We've got activities before school. We, I, I work 70-something hours a week. I don't have time for this. It truly means that all of the interest and all of the things in our land of opportunity have come in and saturated and sucked out all the moisture and life out of us that we no longer have time for the Word of God to sink deep into our heart and to germinate and to become what God intended it to become. Verse 14, it, goes, it says there, it says that as, as they go on their way, as you go on your way today, as you start your day tomorrow, as you start your work week tomorrow, they are choked, 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 choked by what? By cares, by riches, by pleasures of life. You break them down, he tells us exactly what we're preoccupied with. One of those are emotional distractions. We have these emotional distractions, these cares, these things that hold us back. It's anger. I'm so angry I can't let go. I'm so angry I want to get even. I am not going to forgive that person until they get as bad a pain or worse than I got. Yet, if they were to come to this book and they would open it up to what we call the Lord's Prayer, they would find a statement something like this, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. See, forgiveness is never a one-way street. You get it, but you don't give it. 
Forgiveness always runs both ways. I give it, I receive it, I give it, I receive it. But the problem is, is that because I've got so much emotional energy inside of me, I'm not going to forgive. And that's one of those emotions. You could take anxiety and fear and worry. In fact, the word care there is where we get the word worry and anxiety. Some of us are so consumed with fear that we can't go forward and change. The fear cripples the faith so that we can't move beyond. The second choker, if you will, is increased wealth or riches. He says it right there. You can underscore it if you want. The things that choke by cares and riches and the, you know, I don't need to spend much time on this. I think we all know it. It is, it's a part of that 70 hour work week. It's a part of that new car, that new home, that new, that thing that I'm jealous that the other person has that I want those, that new shopping spree, that retail therapy, all those kind of things that make up. In fact, I would preach a a series on this called desire. Okay. In fact, the entire series was built on these things right here. These things that come in and choke us, and one of those is our desire for more wealth, more fame, more fortune to move us ahead. Bob Bill said it like this, when your outgo exceeds your income, your upkeep will be your downfall. Number three, third choker that chokes out the word are pleasures. Pleasures. Now, you can, you can fill in the blank on this. Now, everything that I'm going to mention here about pleasures doesn't mean that pleasures and finding pleasure in life is wrong. But it's whenever, listen, 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 this is so important. It's whenever the pleasures of life become greater than the voice and the seed and the truth of God. And so now the pleasures become an idol to us. Sex is beautiful and wonderful. Sex given by God. Sex was designed by God to bring pleasure and honor and glory to Him and beauty and, 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 and warmth and safety and security and love in the marriage. But when we take pleasure from more and more of it and from someone else and we steal it imaginatively and we take it from the Internet and then we are distorting it and we're living for our pleasures, ignoring the Word. Pleasures abound. We live for sensuality, material purchases, eating food becomes pleasure to where we will live more for breakfast in the morning than dieting on this book. Think about it. Do your own assessment of your heart. Maybe the greatest thing you could do to your heart in this 40 days, maybe the greatest thing would be to do some good weeding of your garden some good pulling up. Now, I'm not a gardener at all. Uh, I have no green thumb in me at all. In fact, I will say this, next to duct tape, the greatest invention was Roundup. (laughs) Roundup is wonderful. You can take care of a lot of things with Roundup. In fact, I love Roundup in our flower bed. And Lori hates me when I get the wand of Roundup out. My deal with Lori is you take care of the weeds or I'll take care of it all. All right? (laughs) And so Roundup's wonderful because it will take care of the weeds. We need to take some Roundup to our lives, to our crazy, busy cares, to our crazy, busy desire for riches, for our crazy, busy pleasures that choke out the Word of God. There's a fourth heart. 
And I hope, I hope if you're not here, you will do everything you can to get here as fast as you can. And that responsive heart, a responsive heart. So whenever you take that moment each day and you open up that book in your quiet, sacred place in your home, on your back porch, at coffee shop, wherever it is, in, the, in your car before you go into work, and you open it up and you read that chapter and you record that truth and you say, okay, today, God, I'm going to begin to adjust my life to this. I hope and pray, I hope and pray that your heart will flourish. Now, here's what I want to ask. Get your phones out. I want to take another survey. I want to ask you this question. Since starting the 40-day challenge, have you experienced God speaking to you through your Bible reading time? Simple question. I'm not asking, what did he say? I'm not saying, did he shout or scream or whisper at you? But as you took this challenge in the 40 days, I'm not saying, did you miss a day or not? At any point in time, over 14-day period, has God spoken to you? If it's yes, type in, uh, actually, you're going to text two. 22333, and you're going to text yes or no. Either 1969 uh, that those numbers are horrible for dyslexic. Uh, 196927. So just one number off, all right, and you're going to answer yes or no. If you have not experienced God in speaking to you in some way, put no. If you have, put yes. And I like the honesty. So if he hasn't, then don't put, I mean, put no. Please do that. I like the honesty. If he has, put yes. And I think from our first service and this service, you can see in 14 days, 14 days, God's talking. And if God's talking, he's expecting us to adjust our lives to his voice. I love verse 8. Just leave that up there. Let it keep populating. Verse 8 says it like this, if you remember. And some fell among the good soil and it grew and it yielded a hundredfold. Again, I'm not a farmer. I don't know what, what a crop should yield. And so I actually looked up and found out in the Bible times, what would a good crop, what would a typical crop yield? And they said between seven to tenfold. A hundredfold. This is more than a bumper crop. I mean, we're talking about fruit that can go on and on and on and feed you and feed your family and feed others, change lives, make a difference because the Word is making such a bold difference in your life. When it's hitting your heart and it's finding a place to germinate and take root and you're adjusting your life to whatever He's saying along the way, whatever promise you need to claim, whatever command you need to obey, whatever whatever example you need to follow, whatever it is that he's saying along the way. In John chapter 8, verse 31, let's go there. It says, so Jesus said to the Jews who believed in him, if you abide in my word, if your word is abiding in you, living, dwelling, taking up home and residence in you, and you are truly my disciples. Now listen. And you know the truth. And what will the truth do? Say it again. Let me, let me propose an, a possibility. What if, what if the greatest thing that would happen in the next 40 days is that for someone in your life, maybe even you, 
you would find freedom in an area you've never found freedom in before. You found victory in an area you've never had victory in before. You've been chained. You've been locked down. You can't get past that habit, that addiction. You can't get past that desire. It just continues to consume you. And you're set free. That would be the beauty. That would be awesome. I want us to memorize the middle part of this, the real heart of it. Verse, verse 31. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. Read it out loud with me. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. So if you break it down as we've done week by week, just think about one word at a time, if, 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 if. Leads you to believe there's a question out there. Leads you to believe that there may or may not be the word. Leads you to believe that you're going to have some choices out there. If, 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 if. So the question is, if, if you're going to allow the word, are you going to allow it? If you, not if Mike, if Mike, if Mike keeps the word in him, then we'll have good sermons and, I, and, and, and I'll get inspired every time I come and then I'm going to go home wiser. No, it's if you. If you abide. If you abide in what? If you're dwelling, living, abiding, making residence in what? The word. Think about it. Break it down just like that every single day. If you abide in my word, you are truly... See, there's some fakely disciples out there. There's some posers out there. There's some pretenders out there. There's some wannabes out there. There's some think I am out there. You're truly my disciple. When the word of God is abiding in you and you are abiding in it. The greatest victory may be somebody getting free, a generational sin, some self-destructive pattern, some addiction. Think about it. And here, let me just say this. The greatest work is not actually reading this book. This book is a means to an end. This book is a means to to enter, get you into a relationship with Jesus Christ, sustain you in that relationship with Jesus Christ, grow you in that relationship with Jesus Christ. But let me say in this room today, I know that there are people in this room today that don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And don't think for 40 days just reading the Bible is going to cut it. The greatest adjustment of your life, listen here, right now, may be, Jesus, I'm giving my life to you because I want to be born again through your word, not the corruptible seed, the dying seed, the incorruptible, never dying, forever seed of the word of God. Two things that I think really help to a responsive heart, and I'm done. Two things. Quality time in the word. Quality. Not just quality. Don't just go 40 days, but quality time. Opening up, spending, thinking, meditating, slowing the motor down, letting it be a seed that deep, sinks deep into your heart. And then number two, adjust your life. Let the fruit grow that God wants to grow in your life. I wasn't selling you a bill of goods when I said that, you know, this book's going to make your love life better. This book's going to take a lot of the fighting out of the home. This book's going to, you know, uh, going to make you a more generous servant in this world and a more kinder person in this world. It's not, it's not a bill of goods. It's part of the fruit of the word. It's part of the fruit of living in a relationship with God and having the Holy Spirit live inside of us. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23 says, When the Holy Spirit controls our lives... He will produce the kind of fruit in us. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, 
gentleness and self-control, and there is no conflict here. No conflict with God's truth. Every one of these will be in our lives when the Word of God is fully, richly germinating and growing in us and we're adjusting our life to it. I've said this a hundred times. I want to close by saying it again today. The, the, the quality of my life, the purity of my life, the holiness of my life, the, how patient I am with, with Lori and the kids, uh, how, how much I feel fulfilled in life, whether or not I'm burning out in life is in direct proportion to the time that I spend in this book. The quality of time, the life adjustments that I make.